Please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. Acts 24. Anyone need a Bible? We have a couple over here. A couple Bibles over here. One back there. Acts 24. Let's start in verse 10. Verse 10 of Acts 24. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that that would be us, that we would be as men and women who believe all the things which are written in the law and in the prophets, Lord, and that in particular, Lord, the one to whom the law and prophets pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ died and resurrected for us, that we would be as men and women who believe on him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we are in the home stretch of the book of Acts now. And once again, always we do well to remind ourselves why this book was placed in the Bible. Because it was placed in the Bible because it's a living, breathing demonstration of how Jesus continued to work, is what it says in Acts 1, verse 1, how he continued to work after he had been resurrected from the dead and taken up into heaven. Before Jesus died and was crucified, he told his disciples that he would be leaving. Right. Okay. Did you guys pray for me during that silence? <laughs> Always remember to pray for the pastor when he's in the pulpit. Oop, you're going to have to pray for me again. <laughs> Do I get to speak real loud during the sermon without a mic? I do have a loud voice. Am I okay? 
So before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he told his disciples he was going away, and they were really distressed about that. And he told them, don't be distressed, don't be troubled. He said, I won't leave you as orphans with no one to lead you or guide you. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. And that was fulfilled after Jesus was resurrected. He gave the disciples the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20 and in Acts chapter 2. And after that, after he gave the Holy Spirit, he just kept on going, doing, teaching, working, just as he had done when he was here in the flesh. But now he was doing it in and through the lives of the men and women who had invited him into their lives. And he continues doing that until this very day to continue to work, do and teach through you. And that's why this book, the book of Acts, is here. So you can see firsthand that he, what he will do through you. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did in the book of Acts, he wants to do through you. That's why this book is here. And so the last few chapters we have been here in the book of Acts, we've been zeroing in on the life of one man, the apostle Paul. For about 15 years, 15, 20 years, he had been out planting churches in the western part of the Mediterranean. And he'd been going into cities, city after city after city, and churches were just sprouting up. Now, I personally believe Paul just reveled in what he did. He just loved it. He loved going into cities. He loved declaring the word of God. But I do believe the whole time he had one thing on his mind, in the back of his mind, sort of nagging on him. And that was, man, I wish I could go to Jerusalem. I wish I could go to Jerusalem and do the same thing I'm doing here in this city. I wish I could be doing in that city. And so finally, after 15 to 20 years, he gets permission from the Lord to go there. Now, Sometimes that is the case, by the way. The Lord puts something on your heart, but it's years before he gives the nod, before he gives permission for you to, to, to do it. And that was the case with Paul. But finally in chapter 20, he gets permission from the Lord to go to Jerusalem. He heads off. I think that when he sets off there, he's convinced that though that there's going to be a lot of trouble, he was warned about that that he was going to see in Jerusalem what he saw in so many other cities when he declared the word of God, a great turning to the Lord. That's what he thought he was going to see. He didn't. His hopes were dashed, and that's a great understatement. In Acts 21, he was spotted in the temple, and a riot broke out. Before ever saying a word, all he did was just show up in the city. He's recognized the whole city is, it goes into a, a, a riot. Wow. A mob gets a hold of him. He is rescued by the Roman commander there. He asks to speak to the mob. He gets permission. He can speak for about two minutes, and then just the, another uproar occurs. The Roman commander rescues him again. 
but, and, and really wants to know what's the controversy with this guy. So the Roman commander calls the, the Roman commander calls the, uh, uh, the Jewish Supreme Court to uh, Jerusalem into where he's at. And Paul meets before them. Uh, actually, he, what does he wind up doing? He loses his temper. We read about that. He insults the high priest. He blows his witness. Uh, eventually, the meeting itself blows up once again for the third time. He's rescued by the Roman commander who puts him in a prison cell. And in the middle of verse uh, chapter 23, uh, verse 11, Paul is just deflated. He's at a low, low, low point in his life at the bottom of the barrel. Instead of bringing on revival, he brought on riot. Instead of uh, uh, showing the power of Christ to the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, he showed them the power of the flesh. Uh, And possibly the most discouraging thing was, it, it really does appear at this time, he's just abandoned by the church in Jerusalem. He's on his own there. In the prison cell. And that's where it says in verse 11 of chapter 23. It says, but the following night the Lord stood by him. And said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem. So you must also bear witness at Rome. In other words, I am not through with you yet. The next day, Paul is secreted by the Roman commander out of Jerusalem. There was a conspiracy to to kill him that the Roman commander found out about. So he is sent 90 miles north uh, to uh, the the city of Caesarea, Caesarea by the sea. Once again, I'll just point this out. Jerusalem down there by the Dead Sea down there. The bottom, ooh, a red dot, the red dot special. And then it goes up to Caesarea. That's about 90 miles. So that's where we are, uh, really, in Acts uh, chapter 24. He goes up there to see the Roman governor, Felix, who's going to try to figure out what to do with this man who's creating all this controversy. So, verse 1, let's begin. He is, uh, what happens here in verse 1 of chapter 24 is some members of the Sanhedrin are brought all the way up to Caesarea. They're dragged up there. I'm sure they're not happy about this, including the high priest, in order to hear Paul. It says in that, verse 1, Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, seeing that through you, so he's speaking to the governor Felix here, this guy, he's actually, he's, he's a lawyer for hire here, he's a Roman lawyer, the, the, the Sanhedrin, their case against Paul was so bad, that's when you have to go pay the big bucks for Johnny Cochran or someone like that to, 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 to be your lawyer, and that's who Tertullus was. It says, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace, which was a lie. Under Felix, there was just one tumult after another, but this is what some lawyers do. 
Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity, and that prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix. Felix wasn't noble. He was a rat, but uh, Felix the rat. We'll find out more about that. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further. In other words, let's quit wasting time. Let's just get down to, you, get down to what's going on here. I beg you to hear by your courtesy a, f- a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension. That same word is interpreted in other places as an uproar. A, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. That word sect in the Greek is heresius, from which we get heresy. In other words, he's a cult leader. He's a ringleader of a heresy. He's a cult leader is what he is calling him here. Wow. You know, this past week I was reading a book by R.A. Torrey. And it's this guy, he's a pastor and author in the late 19th century. And in his book called How to Pray, he challenges the reader by asking them, are you really sure that you want what you pray for? Do you really, really want what you pray for? That's what R.A. Torrey presents to the reader. And he says, well, for example, when you pray for God to really use you, are you sure that you really want that? Because if God really does use you, people, religious people even, will be saying some really ugly things about you. Acts 24, case in point with Paul, he's called a plague. Anyone called you a plague recently? A jerk maybe, but a plague? You know, you get this picture of someone who is so vile, they walk into a room and everyone just starts dropping like flies. Oh, Steve Cole, ah! you know, you run out of the room. A plague, you're a plague. Calls him a plague, an instigator of riots, a cult leader. So Ari Tori posed this question. Are you really sure you want that? Maybe you should be praying, God, please don't use me. And and that's what R.A. Torrey actually says that. Maybe you should pray. We don't want revival, Lord. Lord, I don't want a husband who's a believer because he he may so radically change my life and I don't want that. I like what I have now. But this is what happens when the Lord really uses you. A plague, a creator of dissension, and a cult leader. Wow. Verse 6. He even tried to profane the temple, meaning defile the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, you know, this type of thing. Now, keep in mind, Paul's a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, and so were all the 12 apostles. So this is just, you know, the Jewish uh, hierarchy here coming against uh, Paul here. Verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. But this I can, verse 13, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So the charges that the Jews brought up against Paul. They bring up a couple of charges. One, that he defiled the temple, meaning that he brought non-Jews, Gentiles, into the temple area, which, by the way, after Jesus was crucified, it says that the veil was torn in two. There is no longer such division. At the moment Jesus gave up his last breath, that division between non-Jews and Jews was eliminated, but nevertheless, the Jews had continued the practice, not allowing any non-Jew into the temple. They're accusing Paul of bringing non-Jews into the temple, something that he never did. They're also accusing him of stirring up a riot. Paul didn't stir up a riot. They stirred up a riot. And so Paul is just saying here in, in verses 12 and 13, I'm guilty of none of that. But what he says in verse 14 is this. The only thing I'm guilty of is believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. He's referring there to the Old Testament. He's saying, the only thing I admit to doing is believing God's word. What the law and the prophets declare in the Old Testament. I'm guilty of believing the Bible. That is what uh, he is saying here. Now, believing what about the Bible? What is it that he believes about the Bible that really behind their front of accusations, which they can't prove, what's the real issue here? What are they taking such an issue at? Let's take a look at some of the things that Paul believed about the Bible that he was now on trial for. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is written 750 years before the birth of Jesus. It says, but you, Bethlehem, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Paul believed that. That's really what he was on uh, trial for. How about the next one? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, of course, referring to Jesus, written 750 years before Jesus was crucified. The prophet Isaiah said, the Messiah is coming and he will be pierced for our transgressions. And then um, also Zechariah 
12.10, they will look upon me who they pierced. And so referring to Jesus also, that is probably about 600, five or 600 years before uh, Jesus was crucified. So Paul is on trial here for what he believes. So listen, let's just pause here for a second and remember and reflect. Listen, if you have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus, if you do, a vibrant relationship with the Lord, and you walk with him. And let me tell you, that's what God wants. That's what God wants for you. And he gives you the grace to have that walk. But if you have that uh, relationship with Jesus, you will be put on trial by your family, by your friends, by your coworkers, by your uh, professors. You will be put on trial. Well, listen, let's just remember we're in the book of Acts to see, to learn. Jesus wants to do the same thing through us. So what do we do? We let the word of God be our defense. He says, look, the only thing I'm going to confess is that I believe everything that the the prophets and the law say about Jesus Christ. And and that's what he uh, is saying. If someone tries to uh, accuse you of being so narrow, let the word of God be your defense. Quote John 14, 6, where he says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. Interestingly enough, by the way, there in verse 14, it says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, that's the first reference, that's the first name given to Christians that we know of. There is the way. Some people think they were referring to John 14, 6. That this Messiah Jesus says he was the way, and they're the people of the way there. But let the, let, you know, let the word of God be your defense. So picking up in verse 15, it says, I have hope in God. So he, Paul is just continuing here. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. So a conscience without offense. In other words, a conscience completely free of any guilt or shame. And we're talking here about a guy who at one point in his life went into people's homes hunting for For Christians, people who believed in Jesus, he dragged them off to be killed. He was once on the Sanhedrin himself, and he would vote himself for them to to be put to death. Now think about the children who were orphaned. No more mommy, daddy because of this guy. Yet he is able to say in verse 16 that, that, he can, there, that, that he can have a conscience without offense towards God and men. You know, the Bible says that Jesus offered himself without spot to God to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And, and let me tell you, if, if, if you are living with a thorn of guilt in your side because of something in your past, 
you haven't laid hold of what Jesus got for you, what he apprehended for you. Again, Jesus offered himself without spot to God to cleanse your conscience, the Bible says. So listen, if, if, if Paul is able to be used by God because he laid hold of this, this truth, listen, you're not going to be able to be used by the Lord if you're still holding on to that thorn and yourself with your own sort of hand just rubbing that thorn into your side. Jesus took it out. He cleansed your conscience. That's part of the gift that God gives you when you're saved. Verse 17, Paul continues. Now, after many years, I, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. Remember, Paul had brought uh, to Jerusalem an, an offering because there had been a famine in the land. And he came to Jerusalem with an offering of money. In verse 18, it says, And in the midst of which some Jews from Asia, they found me purified in the temple. In other words, I didn't defile the temple. I was purified in the temple. Neither with a mob nor a tumult. Tumult's a riot. He's saying, I didn't stir up a riot. Verse 19, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. In other words, the people who were there with me, they're not even here accusing me is what he's saying. Verse 20, or else let those who are, are here themselves say, if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it, is, unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out standing among them, it's concerning the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged by you this day. So there he goes again. He brings up the resurrection Again, just like he did in verse 15. And so observe, Jesus working through the life of Paul. He wants to do the same work in us. Notice how Paul here, as he does throughout the book of Acts, repeatedly talks about the resurrection. A lot of controversy about the resurrection today. We live in a materialistic, naturalistic uh, world. I really like the story about Billy Graham. And it says in the early part of his ministry, he was in Germany and he had a private meeting with the chancellor, Conrad Adenauer. Now, Conrad Adenauer was the chancellor who led Ger Germany out of World War II and the ruins of World War II into really the, the, the state that it is today, which is a, really a, a major world power. Uh, again, And in a private meeting with Billy Graham, Conrad Adenauer asked Billy Graham, he said, do you really believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead? Do you really believe that? And Billy Graham, he, he thought for a few moments about it, and he said, well, if I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that Jesus was ri risen from the dead... I wouldn't preach the gospel. I wouldn't be out teaching and, and, and preaching. And the chancellor responded this way. He says, I see no hope for mankind other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. There's a reason that he was so successful in what he did. He was right. 
There is no hope for mankind other than on this one thing, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, if Christ isn't risen, we are dead in our sins. In other words, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no victory over death, and we are dead in our sins. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said this, if in this life only we have Christ. In other words, if he's just like an example that we're supposed to follow in this life, we are of all men most miserable. So Paul, with the Roman governor Felix, as he always was, bringing up the resurrection. The wonderful thing about bringing up the resurrection with someone is it confronts them with a decision. If the resurrection is true, you cannot just ignore who Jesus Christ was and claimed to be. That's why the resurrection should ever be on our lips as well. So verse 22, let's continue. But when Felix heard these things, so Paul had just finished uh, speaking with him. He said, when he heard these things, having a more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, well, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Verse 24. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come... Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call to you. So Felix and Drusilla. Felix and Cruella. Cruella? Cruella de Vil? Felix and Drusilla. They were a serious couple. Let me tell you just a little bit about Felix and Drusilla. I will start with Drusilla. Drusilla's father was Herod Agrippa, who executed the apostle James. Drusilla's uncle was Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. Drusilla's grandfather was Herod the Great, who killed all the young boys in Bethlehem soon after the birth of Jesus. And you thought you had family issues. Jesus loved her, but just a little bit more about her. She had been married to a Syrian king, but Felix, Felix was so captivated with her beauty that he hired a sorcerer, this is all true, to lure her away from the Syrian king, and then he winds up marrying her. So by this time, she's married to two men. And actually, he had multiple wives at this time. So he, they're both living in adultery. Felix himself, historians record, he was a violent man. He was a corrupt man. He actually hired hitmen to eliminate his uh, opponents, his political opponents. He wound up killing so many people that he was eventually called back to Rome to stand trial before Nero. So Felix and Drusilla... He'd be on the cover of these magazines at the lines and the supermarkets that they live today. Anyway, 
It says in verse 24 that Felix sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So, what does Paul talk to them about? He talks to them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. You know, when we talk to an unbeliever about God, so oftentimes we spend most of the time talking to them about how much God loves them, how much he wants a relationship with them, how much they will be blessed by believing in God. But brothers and sisters, I challenge you, and I speak to my own own heart as well, is that really all they need to hear? Really? Really? Most of the time, no, that's not all they need to hear. They need to hear about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Their lives need to be confronted with God's holiness. Listen, let me tell you, if you're in this room today and you have been uh, taking God and His holiness as a light thing, as a small matter, if you have been marginalizing and trivializing God and his law in your life, let me remind you of the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and they were the most righteous, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You, uh, you say, well, I'm not a murderer like Felix. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 5.22, whoever is angry with, his, uh, with another is in danger of judgment. You say, I'm not an adulterer like Drusilla. Jesus says, I tell you, whoever looks at another to lust after them has already committed adultery in their heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you're in this room today and you've been taking God and His holiness as a light thing, as a small matter, if you've been marginalizing, trivializing God in your life, you are Felix. You are Drusilla. And you are in danger of the judgment to come. It's just the Word of God. The Word of God is my defense. This isn't something I made up. Paul spoke to Felix and Drusilla about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And it says that Felix was afraid in verse 25. Actually, the King James Version says he trembled. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer came to Paul trembling saying, How, what must I do to be saved? He was trembling. What did Paul say? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And the whole household uh, was saved. Sometimes, you know, trembling before the Lord, it's a good thing. People need to be trembling out there. God is holy. The Bible says he is storing up his wrath. 
And that is the guilt of the world just going about doing whatever it wants to do increases, so does his wrath. And, 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 so the, and there will be a judgment to come. It's a good thing sometimes for, to tremble before the Lord if it frees us from our bondage to sin and from everlasting judgment. If you've never given your life to judge, to, rather to the, uh, to the judge, to Jesus Christ, he's the, he's the savior and he's the judge. But the question is, are you going to be, after you die, are you, there's going to be, the Bible says, there's going to be two kinds of judgment. One judgment for believers who really uh, meet Jesus, not as the judge, but as the savior. There's going to be another judgment, the book of Revelation says, which is the white throne judgment where you meet Jesus as judge. Are you going to meet him as judge or are you going to meet him as savior? If he is not your savior today, there'll be some people uh, here after the service uh, to, to pray with you. He entered into, Jesus entered into judgment for you on the cross. Now he offers you a relationship in eternity with him. And all that is required is that you open up your heart to him and believe. And it's a simple prayer of faith that gets that done. But in the middle of verse 25 there, it says that he trembled. He, he was afraid. And he says, go away for now when I have a convenient time, I will call you. You know, it has been said that lust has killed its thousands, but procrastination has killed its tens of thousands. Lust has killed its thousands, but procrastination has killed its tens of thousands. And, And isn't that the case? Felix says, well, maybe I'll do this thing, but put my faith in Christ, but man, I'm just gonna wait for a more convenient Time. So really what's been going on here, and some of you may be doing this today. He's considering what Paul is saying. It's, it's the word of God given by the spirit of God, so it's ringing very true to him. But when he considers his sin and the pleasure of it, he says, I'm not quite ready to give this up. And so he puts off giving his life to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. This is a verse you should type out, cut out, and put over your doorpost. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. He puts off God's voice, and we see his heart hardened. We see it actually in the next verse. It says in verse 26, Meanwhile, Felix also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul that he might release him, a bribe. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Wow. So, Felix is removed from the scene. You know, the thing that's a little spooky about all this, Paul talking to Felix about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, is that years after this, Drusilla was living in Pompeii with her son. 
Mount Vesuvius erupted, it exploded, destroyed the city, rather the city, and Drusilla and perished there with her son underneath the, the ash. You know, she may have eventually accepted the truth. I don't know. Felix went on to commit suicide, is believed. But, uh, uh, you know, both of them, though, were, were, were given the truth. The message was righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. But the motive, that was the message. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. But the motive was what? Love. Love was the motive. The, the message was judgment. The motive was love. Jesus loved them. We struggle with the, Lord, with the Lord loving people like this, but that just demonstrates they don't understand how God loves. Jesus loved them. He saw their empty, broken lives, and through Paul cried out to them to turn to him. But he puts it off until a more convenient time. And so his heart hardens, and he winds up, caring more about a bribe and and that's what happens when you put the Lord off and it says there in verse uh, 27 after two years he was replaced so someone else came in but Paul is sitting there in prison the whole time now that says something about God's timing doesn't it you know after God had told Paul you're going to Rome Paul was in jail for two years. Now, granted, it was a palace on the Mediterranean, and his friends could come and go as they pleased, but it was, you know, it was a prison. But listen, God did so much through Paul during this time period. Some people believe he wrote the book of Hebrews during this time period, really reflecting on the Jews and his message. Maybe I gave the wrong message. Let me really give him the the message in love this time or, or the way I was supposed to. I don't know. He was used in a great way. Don't miss that. Don't miss that the waiting process is so much of what the Lord is doing in your life and what the Lord does during the waiting process. Don't miss that. He was there for two years. And notice, he doesn't give Felix a bribe. George Bernard Shaw was a great antagonist and critic of Christianity. He lived in the late 19th century and early 20th century. He said this. He said, Christianity would be a great idea if anyone really tried it. Christianity would be a great idea if anyone really tried it. Isn't it terrible when a, a prophetical word has to come through an unbeliever? There would have been so many good reasons to take this bribe. Paul, consider the ministry that you're missing. Oh, you could be out free declaring the word of God. Or if we had any lawyer friends, Paul, it's not really a bribe, it's a fine. Just pay the fine, really now.
Paul, you have been called to Rome, and it's been two years. Just obviously, the Lord wants you to do this. He told you you're supposed to go to Rome. Christianity would be a great idea if anyone really tried it. What would have happened if Paul took the bride? Obviously, he would have undermined everything else he told Felix. I remember when we were brand new Christians, you know, how the message of the Lord of Christ is undermined by people's behavior about the living, the saying one thing. Oh, I love Jesus, and yes, he's my Lord. Ooh. But then going the next morning and doing something completely different. You know, I remember when we were brand new Christians, Stephanie was a secretary in our church, and there was a building project going on, and Stephanie would uh, cut the checks to all the different people uh, working on this project, except for one guy. A guy by the name of Benny. She paid Benny cash. You know, she's like, new Christian, only a couple of years in the Lord. You know, oh, here's your cash, here's your check. One day she's, she went to the pastor. <laughs> I'm just wondering, so why do I give everyone else a check and Benny gets cash? Well, we have to pay him under the table. He's, he's disabled, and if, if they find out he has a job, he'll lose his Social Security, disabled, you know, his disability income. Oh, really? Christianity would be a great idea if anyone really tried it. And all he did was undermine everything else he was telling us from the pulpit. And, and you know, I, 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 I love that man to this day, but, but you know, the, these type of things were difficult for a brand new believer. Stephanie winds up having a meeting with the pastor and the head of the elders. This 24-year-old girl confronting him. They backed off and quit doing it. Praise the Lord. You know, she, 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 she's tried it and it's succeeded. Praise the Lord. But, 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 you know, he would have undermined everything else he did with this man, not to mention many, many other people who were witnessing, you know, what was, what was going on. You know, the Bible tells us, in Ephesians, to put on the whole armor of God, which includes what? The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. You know, if, if, if he takes, if he gives the bribe, all it becomes is a way for the enemy, Satan, just to come in and just dig at him and condemn him and ruin his work. No, you know, we need to go out. You need to go out today and every morning Put on the breastplate of righteousness. See how fruitful Paul was after he left. We'll see how fruitful he became after uh, he left this place. And, And why was it? It's because he did it. He believed the word of God and he did it. We don't have to be like those people who, you know, know the word of God, but we never actually try it. We can do it and, and, and see the faithfulness of God. And that is what we have seen in the life of Paul. So exciting seeing a man live by the things he believed. That's who the Lord wants you to be. He wants you to live out this word. 
and you'll see the, the you'll see the the same kind of fruit just overflowing from your life when you do. Isn't always easy, but we'll see, we'll continue to read about Paul as we see uh, him do it faithfully uh, in his life. Okay, will the worship team come up? We'll start in chapter twenty-five, and next time uh, we're in the book of Acts. The worship team come up. Let's rise for. Let's rise for the worship song and let's just close in prayer now. Father, we thank you for this wonderful demonstration of what you want to do, Lord, through us. What you you want to do through, Lord, the life of every man and woman in this room, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, thanking you for that gift of salvation. Lord, I just pray for any man man or woman in this room that if their heart has has yet to be convicted by righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, that you would just bring them to their knees today, Lord, trembling, crying out to you for to exchange their righteousness or lack of it with the righteousness of Christ as a free gift. And Father, we pray also for grace, for the grace in our life, Lord, to speak the resurrection, to live it out in our life, the resurrection life, to not only believe these words, Lord, that are before us today, but to live them, Lord. It's such a privilege to live by your word. Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit that we can do that very thing today and this week, Lord, day by day as we rely upon you. In Jesus' name.